Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Uh, I wonder if you've ever been uh, in a situation where you felt like uh, you've taken too much on. I'm sure that um, applies to most of us. Um, studying the tabernacle this week, and I w I've been gifted two weeks on the tabernacle. I think I need about two years to get through it all, really. There is so much going on in the tabernacle. And um, I'm going to say at the outset over the next two weeks that I'm there's no chance I'm going to be able to cover it all in a great amount of detail. But we are currently working through the book of Exodus, and we've looked at how God saved the Israelites from Egypt. We've looked at how uh, he brought them through the Red Sea, and uh, they now camp at the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. And all this was done to fulfill what God had said at the start of the book. That uh, He said this directly to Moses, that the Israelites were to be his people, his special possession. And last week, Andy took us uh, through the covenant or the agreement between God and his people uh, being confirmed or established. And now we've come to chapter 25. And it begins quite a major section of the rest of the book of Exodus. And it's here that God does something deeply powerful and very profound. And it's quite incredible, really, in the context of the story of the Bible. And we're actually going to do this over, over two weeks. I, I'm, I am going to put in a request next time we do this. I'm going to do it over two years because there's so much going on. But yeah, we're going to do this over the next two weeks. And we're going to be looking at this incredible thing that God brings about called the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is introduced in chapters 25 to 31 of Exodus, where God gives Moses plans to build a sacred space where God would dwell right in the midst of his people. And this sacred space was called the tabernacle. Now, the plans are really, 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 really long. Really long. Very, very, very long. In fact, the design alone covers almost seven chapters of Exodus. That's just the design alone. And it's normally at this point, if you're attempting to read the Bible in one year, that these kinds of passages defeat you, and you, try, you choose to either skip them or you skim read them. That's, that's often my, that's, well, that was often my experience anyway. The detail is truly incredible. And I suppose once you start reading about pegs and guy ropes, it can get a bit difficult. I was speaking to someone this morning. I'm not going to embarrass them, but they were saying, every time I read about the tabernacle, it is fairly boring. I was like, yeah, okay. No pressure there then. No pressure there at all. There is a lot of detail. And then there's even more because then there's a little short break in the book of Exodus where there's a few other key events happening. And then we get to Exodus chapter 35 to 40 where the tabernacle is then finally constructed. And that covers five chapters. Now, before you panic, we're not going to read all 11 or 12 chapters on the tabernacle. And we're not going to go through each little word, I promise you. We're not going to do that because we would be here for two years. But I would absolutely recommend that you do that. I'm not going to put you off. Absolutely go and do that. Go and read about the tabernacle because you will be amazed how much you will learn, not just about God, but about his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the way that we've decided to go through all of this is that we're going to look at the tabernacle over two weeks. And then we're going to look at some other key ideas introduced to us in these chapters. We're going to look at things like the priesthood. We're going to look at different festivals and offerings given to the people of Israel for their remembrance and their celebration. Basically, we're going to cover all the passages and topics that when I was a kid, you looked at and went, what on earth is all this about? This is really boring. 
fairly tedious, lots of monotonous details. What am I going to do with this on Monday morning when I go off to school or go off to work? Those are the kinds of the passages we're going to do. I'm not, hopefully not going to put you off. Hopefully next week there won't be like just me and an empty building. Hopefully not. So what we're going to do over these next two weeks is a sense. What I want us to do is journey into the tabernacle. We're going to be like an Israelite walking through the camp, walking around the tabernacle, seeking to understand what's going on and what also this all means. We're going to start from the outside this week before journeying in toward the very presence of God in the innermost part of the tabernacle, which is where God met with his people. We will by no means, I'm saying this again, I'm going to say this a couple of times, we will by no means cover every detail. I know there's someone in the room um, who's just finished or is currently doing a study on the tabernacle. Um, so I'll point, if you come to have questions to me at the end, I'm going to point you to them because I know they've been going into it in a lot of depth. We're, ba- we're barely going to str- scratch the surface on this. But hopefully we're going to cover enough to allow us to understand what the tabernacle was and is and what it reveals to us about God and how the tabernacle was a key step and a key event in the biblical story leading us to Jesus. Now, you might be thinking at this point, what is the point? Why does any of this matter? Why am I currently listening to a talk about a sacred tent? What's all this about? What, if anything, does this have to say to me in the 21st century living in the northeast of England? Now, when we read these passages like this, we we often can think like that. It can be hard to see why is this relevant It's quite hard to understand what is this for, other than that God can design some pretty impressive camping equipment, it turns out. But what else? What I would say at this point is, firstly, this topic teaches us something quite profound about the things of God. It teaches us things about the God we claim to know and the God we claim to serve. And it outlines the key truth of the Bible that God loves his people and seeks to be close to them. That our God is one of intimacy and depth. It reveals great truths about his character. And if anything, if only the, the only practical application we get to after these two weeks is that you, you and I bow down in awe and in worship of his supreme majesty. If that's all we get to, then hallelujah, that's job done for me. I am hoping we're going to pick out some practical points for you. But my goal over the next two weeks is just to observe the tabernacle. What's going on? Who is there? And as we do that, we're going to stare at the one who dwells inside the tabernacle. And we're going to see something of his beauty, something of his power, something of his purity, of his generosity, of his mercy, of his grace, and of his supreme love. And how every detail, every detail is beautifully and exquisitely pointing and leading us to the main event, which is Jesus Christ. So let's read together. We're going to read from Exodus uh, 25, but we're going to actually start from chapter 24. Exodus 24, verse 15 for context, and then we're going to read up to chapter 25, verse 9. Exodus 24, verse 15. 
When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil of the light, spices for the anointing oil, and, the f- and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And that's the end of the reading. Don't worry, there's not going to be 11 chapters that we're going to follow on that. Well, last week we touched on the agreement that God had made uh, between him and his people. And this agreement now has been signed, in effect. It's now time for both parties to join together, like, like the merging of a company in some ways. But we, we read, instead of the people coming up to be with God, God is going to come down to be with them. Actually, in Exodus chapter 19, they were invited to come up, but they refused to come up because there's lightning and there's thunder and there's clouds and there's storm and it's scary. And so actually what happens is that God says, right, I'll come down. And as we've read, God outlines to Moses these plans for this sacred space. And the tabernacle was to be a sanctuary where God would dwell in the midst of his people, right in the center. And it was to act as a, as a portable holy space. It was to be for God to dwell with his people. So as the people traveled, They traveled with all the different components of the tabernacle. And when they set up camp in a new place, they would set up the tabernacle at the center of the camp. Now notice that it is God's idea. It is God who suggests the idea of a dwelling place for himself. And he is the one who designs it. It is he is the one who gives all of the intricate details. It's not a man-made thing. This is a God-designed venture. And in a deep sense, the tabernacle is hearkening back to another space where God dwelt with his people, the Garden of Eden. The tabernacle is building upon a theme that's already been introduced in the first pages of the Bible. God is creating a space where humanity can be in his presence. And you see, we often think of the Bible as a collection of books and events covering a wide span of history, And that is what the Bible is in a sense. However, it is also one unified story. And we need to keep that in mind, particularly when we're looking at something like the tabernacle. Because the idea of the tabernacle, this place of God dwelling with his people, was actually introduced right at the very beginning. Eden was the space where God dwelt with his creation, with humanity, where he spoke with them. And they worshipped him. It was the place by which heaven touched or overlapped with earth. It was the gateway between heaven and earth. And all of this intricate detail that we have about the tabernacle's design is meant to be pointing us to that fact. Almost pointing us to the 
the, the, the remarkable detail by which God created and made and ordered the universe. In the tabernacle, God is creating this special and sacred place for people to enjoy him, enjoy his presence, and commune intimately with him, just like he did for Adam and Eve right at the very beginning. It is heaven and earth stretching out towards each other in loving communion and embracing each other. And as we go through the tabernacle, we're going to pick up on more links with Genesis. Because the theme of God's presence, specifically, it runs all the way through as a theme, all the way through the entire Bible. God's goal, if you like, is for us to enjoy his presence by drawing us close to him. That was the idea. That's what God wants to do in your life. Draw you close to him so that you may enjoy the blessings of true, full, and abundant life in God. That is his desire. I wonder if you struggle to believe that. That God would want you close to him. That God would want to spend time with you. That God would want anything to do with you. Do you feel like that sometimes? I know I do. What would God want to do with me? Please know this, that God's love for you is unmeasurable, it is unearned, and it cannot be bought. It is freely given. And I read this this week, which I quite like. Not only does God love you with an everlasting love, God actually likes you. I think that's quite profound, isn't it? We talk a lot about God loving, loving us, but God actually likes you. He does. He likes you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God likes you. Do it. Good, isn't it? It's empowering. It's great. Isn't that lovely? God likes you. He does. God actually likes you. He made you. And his, and his desire above everything is that you would know and tabernacle or dwell with him in this life and the next. That was his and is his desire. That is what we were designed for. But there is a problem. Because you see, in Genesis, you don't have to get too far to see that humanity stuffs it all up. We rebel. We get it wrong. We rebel against our creator. And as a consequence, we are cast out of that garden of Eden. We are, in effect, cast out of the presence of God. But humanity left the garden with a sense of hope that God would one day bring humans into his presence again. And he chose to do this through a man called Abraham and his descendants. His descendants being the Israelites that we're reading about in Exodus today. And so this is where the tabernacle comes in. Because God is creating another space like Eden for his people to dwell close to him. That's what he's doing. But there's something different about this space. You see, the tabernacle was built to allow the people to worship God. But while it also clarified the distance between them and God. That since what happened in Eden, there was, there was this distance between humanity and God. The, the relationship had been marred and it had been changed. Whereas before, humans had free access into God's presence. We are now at a distance from him. Our wrong stuff, our sin means that entering God's presence is not a straightforward exercise. There is a degree of separation here. And that is seen in the design and the features of the tabernacle. So... Got to love a diagram. Here's a diagram. An architectural plan, if you like, of the tabernacle. 
It shows the tabernacle split into two sections, the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies, as it's often referred to. And it was in that section that God dwelt and met with his people, and we're going to touch on those sections next week. Spoiler. Both sections of the tabernacle had different features, symbolizing different things. And again, we're going to go through that next week. But then outside the tabernacle, you have a courtyard, which has a basin and an altar. And there's, there's an entrance and exit on the east side. And then there's a border that stretches all the way around. And so just so you can visualize it better, here is a to-scale construction of the tabernacle. So that's the basic design of what God gave Moses and the Israelites to build. God wants to be with his people, but for them to approach him, they have to do something. Approaching God is to be on his terms and not on the people's. And this is because of God's goodness and God's purity. There's no flaw in God at all. There is no flaw in his character or in his ways. God is supremely good. The word used in the Bible to describe this is holy. God is supremely good and holy. It means that he is separate, that he is apart, and that he is sacred. And God's holiness means that we are separate from him because we aren't supremely good, believe it or not. We aren't supremely good. We have sin while God is without sin. And even though the tabernacle space that we're going to work through is very beautiful, the place becomes sacred only because the presence of God came and dwelt within it. That's what made it sacred. That's what made it holy, the presence of God. God's holiness is a little like the sun. The sun is unique in, it, in our solar system. It, it, it holds great power. And that power is good. That power provides life. But if we stray too close to the sun, its power would consume us. It's not that the power is bad. It's that, it, that it's supreme and we aren't supreme. And we could not be in the presence of the sun. And it's like that with God. His holy and glorious presence is too much for us who are sinners and get things wrong to dwell close to. And the tabernacle is designed to reflect this separateness of God. God is to be worshipped with a sense of reverence and awe and fear. He is the all-powerful creator whose might and goodness know no equal. And this idea of otherness or separateness is highlighted in the tabernacle's design. So let's just imagine for a moment that we are an Israelite walking through the camp that surrounds the tabernacle space. What do you see? Well, the first thing you see is the boundary wall. And you already get this, this sense of separateness, don't you, the, of otherness. It highlights that this, this space is restricted access. The wall was made up of, of wooden pillars coated in bronze, stood in copper sockets, and the tops of the pillars were laid with silver. And between the pillars were these fine, tw uh, fine twine curtains fastened by guy ropes and pegs. And the curtains were white, indicating the sense of purity of what, of what or who laid inside. Now, the curtains were nine feet high or so, so no one would be able to see inside. And it gives this real sense 
that whoever or whatever is inside of this boundary is precious, it's sacred, it's important, it's valuable. And you notice too that there's only one entrant. It's not a case of entering whenever and however you'd like. There's one entrance through a curtain embroidered with expensive blue, purple, and scarlet cloth. One entrance. It gives that sense that you are entering a sacred and special place. Then as you walk through, as you walk through the entrance into the courtyard, the first thing then you would see is the altar. And you can see the sheep or the lambs being made ready. You can see by the entrance people are queuing up with their animal, readying it for sacrifice. These animals were perfect. They had no spot, no blemish, no defect. And they're waiting for the priest to come to the gate to bring them to the altar. Imagine it. You can smell the smoke. You can smell the, the strong odor of shed blood that has been laid on the altar. It's a humbling sight to behold. The first thing you enter and see is the altar. Altar means simply a place sacrifice or slaughter and the altar was about four and a half feet high and seven and a half feet long and made of wood before being overlaid with bronze and it was here that the priests would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people and we're going to touch on the priesthood a bit later on in about two weeks time but in effect the animal that was brought was sacrificed on behalf of the person who had sinned or who had done wrong so you went to, if you had committed a sin or done something wrong or you'd wronged someone, you would take an animal from your own flock that had no blemish, that was perfect, that was spotless, and you'd bring them to the gate of the tabernacle. And in effect, the animal was sacrificed then on behalf of you. The guilty person brought with them a guiltless, innocent creature without any defect, no fault, and they are sacrificed as a substitute. The person will place, actually, place their hands on the animal to almost signify the guilt has been passed to the animal. And the shedding of the blood of the animal meant the person was, in effect, free or guiltless. You are or become what the, la the lamb was or the animal was. You become guiltless. You become innocent. That was the idea. And the blood then was sprinkled then on the curtain of the holy place. Now, this practice of animal sacrifice, it seems so alien to us today, doesn't it? But this was common practice in the times of Israel. And it must have been a constant reminder to anyone who walked into the courtyard. The first thing you see is the altar. The seriousness of sin is the first thing you see. And how approaching God means being made right with him by the removal of sin. And then we walk a little further towards the tabernacle and we come to a bronze basin, which was called the laver. Now this was filled with water and was, was only used by the priests to wash themselves before entering the tabernacle or before offering sacrifices on the altar. And the idea here was of cleansing or being clean and it was a very important part of being a priest. To be clean rather than being defiled. It impacted whether you were right to enter the sanctuary or not. To enter, therefore, close to God's presence. Can you see how the design of the tabernacle was to show the sacredness and the separateness of God? To indicate 
his closeness, but also the distance between himself and his people. And of course, the altar and the laver are clear pictures of Jesus. The altar reminds us of the sacrifice on the cross, and the laver reminds us that he has made us clean to enter God's presence through the shedding of his blood. There's so much imagery here, and there's so much that points us to Jesus. But you're probably asking me at this point, well, where does this leave us, Joel? What can I uh, take into work tomorrow morning? Or just thinking about sacrifices and guy ropes and pegs. What, what, what am I going to do with this? Something that I've um, been thinking about for a while. We've looked at the tabernacle. And we've looked at the design in effect. And we've explored a little bit of the courtyard. And we've discovered that God desires to be near to his people. And I, I can't stress that enough. Because I think sometimes we think that God is this far off being that has no interest, no desire to communicate or connect or to be intimate with his creation or with his creatures. And it's the furthest from the truth you could be. God loves you. God likes you. God wants to dwell close to you. We were designed and created to be in relationship with God. My question this morning is, how is that relationship going? If you were to describe to me your relationship with God, I wonder what words and phrases you would use. Does it feel like a daily walk with someone who you trust and cherish? Or is it an occasional conversation when you feel like it, when you have the time? Does it involve deep conversation about the things of life or the burdens of our heart? Or is it a bit like, a bit like a WhatsApp group that you've, you've muted? Or a conversation that you've marked as unread? I do that a lot. Is it a bit like that, your relationship with God? Life and its busyness can sometimes take over our walk with God. It can sometimes cause us to lose focus or fall out of routine or just become apathetic about talking and walking with him. And my encouragement to you all this morning is to persevere. Keep going. Reach out to God again. And I promise you, he's there waiting to receive you. He loves you. He likes you. I'm going to keep saying that because I like it. He loves you. And he likes you. And he'd be waiting to reach out if you would only turn to him. How much communication and quality time have you had with God in the new year so far? With any relationship, communication and quality time are the key in its strength, in its development, and in its growth. How much communication and quality time have you spent or made for God in 2022 so far? And I ask that question to myself as much as to the rest of us. A second lesson for us is that though God designed the tabernacle, 
we read how he actually used the generosity and the skill of the people to allow it to be completed. I'd never thought about that before. That we read that God actually asks for people to offer, to contribute. He doesn't demand it. He could. It's God. He's just saved them from Egypt, from slavery. He doesn't demand it. He asks, give, may the people give what they choose to give. He had every right to demand it, but he didn't. Are there things God has given you that he's asking you to use? Are there things that God has given you that he's asking you to use this year in 2022? Finances or resources or skills or abilities? What are the things that God is laying on your heart to step forward into in 2022? Have you asked God to show you the opportunities to serve him? Have you asked him to reveal to you the ministries you could get involved in or start? Have you asked him in this new year whether there are new ways that he could or wants to use you? Or new spaces to explore and mature some spiritual gifts? God doesn't demand much of us. He gives things and expects them to be used. But it's our responsibility to use them. And then finally, one more lesson for us. In Leviticus it says this, Be holy, for I am holy. These words are spoken by God to the people, and they're also referenced in the New Testament. And they are a challenge to his people, and therefore to us today, to be like God in his character. We learned today of God's holiness and his goodness, that we, we spoke of the separateness of God and how offerings had to be made before he could be approached. And the Bible tells us that each one of those offerings pointed forward to the last and complete offering, which was Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of another innocent and guiltless individual so that we might be innocent and guiltless. He is our sacrificial lamb. He is the one who dies in our place. And through belief and trust in him, we can receive that forgiveness and receive that relationship with God. But be holy for I am holy is quite a challenge, isn't it? Because be holy and I am holy means that we are set apart for new purposes and new desires now. And as so often the case with us as Christians, we forget who we are and we forget who God declares us to be. We forget that actually when, we, when we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've left the life of sin behind. It has no hold over us. There is no bondage there. We are free. And yet so often we look back. That was my illustration looking back. Look back. We look back. We so often look back and try and go back to the old way of life because we somehow think that that's more uh, satisfying, that that will complete us or we'll find enjoyment in that. And we so often forget who we are. Be holy, for I am holy. We lose sight of our identity so quickly. And we forget that we're no longer 
slaves to sin anymore, but we're servants of God. Your, your identity has changed. You are a saint who sometimes sins. You're not a sinner. You're a saint who sometimes sins. You're a saint who battles against sin, but you are not a sinner. You are a saint. And that's, that was quite a key realization for me a couple of years ago, to realize that my identity is not that, but I'm a saint. And when you keep that in your mind, it, it changes your perspective on life because it, it makes you realize that sin doesn't have the hold anymore. Jesus has you. Jesus has the hold. We are set apart for him. And so, I was about to say, as we start this new year kind of quite far into it now aren't we but as we start this new year are there sins or temptations that we're struggling with at present are there patterns of sin in your life that you're struggling to let go of or to overcome it could be addictions it could be lustful thoughts it could be pornography it could be uh, lack of self-discipline. It could be being quarrelsome or being gossip, being a gossip. Are there patterns of sin in your life that God is putting his finger on? And my encouragement to you and to me this morning is to release those things to God. Because quite often we, we as Christians, sometimes we just keep carrying them and we keep battling them because we sometimes think oh i'm gonna crack this one day well the first point on that is jesus has already cracked it so that's great but we need to remember that our identity has changed and sometimes we forget that and we will battle sin it'll be an ongoing battle but we need to release those things to jesus place them at the foot of the cross where jesus blood was shed for them like the priests who had to keep washing their hands and their feet every time they entered the tabernacle, every time they had to make a sacrifice, constantly washing their hands and their feet. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And his holy and perfect and sinless life has covered all of your wrongdoing, all of it. What did we sing? Boldly I approach your throne, blameless, blameless now, I'm running home. Hebrews 10 verse 14 on the screen there. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. As we seek to dwell closer and closer with God, with him in the center of our lives, we will continue to grow in his likeness of holiness. Now, I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to reflect on this. I'm going to say in advance, that was a very brief and a very quick introduction to the tabernacle and the courtyard. And if you want to chat to me more about the guy ropes and the pegs, feel free. I'd love to chat to you. But let's just reflect on those lessons that we've just talked about. And then we're going to sing together. What are the things that God's putting in your mind right now? Maybe close your eyes, bow your heads and and ask God to speak to you. What are the, the temptations or the things that, that you notice aren't right? Maybe just confess those to God now. Not out loud, just in, in your head.
Let's confess them. Or maybe there are opportunities or things that God's laying on your heart to get involved in, to, to make use of those, those resources and those skills that God's given you. Just ask God to speak to you. What are the things that make you turn back? What are the things that make you keep, take your eyes off Jesus and look at something else? Or maybe it's something that you're putting in front of Jesus or before Jesus. And what's stopping you from believing that you are in God's presence? You've been made right with God in Christ. You are holy. You are blameless. You are liked. And you are loved by your God. Father, help us to realize that our identity is in Christ and in nothing else. We thank you for the, the idea and the image of the tabernacle which talks about your deep desire to have you dwell, uh, to have us dwell close to you. Help us, Father, that in our walk with you this week and in the rest of 2022 and beyond, help us to be those who seek to dwell and tabernacle close to you. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name.